your attention to Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And I'm going to ask our walkers, we have people here from uh, the city of Walker. And uh, there's something inherent about being from Walker that you like to walk in and out of church. <coughs> and uh, so for the next little while, if you'll honor the pastor, we're gonna, I'm picking on the people from Walker. It runs in all of our DNA. I think there's something in the water. But uh, if y'all could remain with me through preaching and altar service, we'd appreciate it. I've come with a voice, a message from the Lord today. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, <clears throat> whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and did neither eat nor drink. I also want to read this morning from Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. The beautiful words that Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning. My title is a question. Can anybody come to Christ? Can anybody come to Christ? Everybody say thank God for the word. <clears throat> say hello to your neighbor and give him a fist bump. And as you do that, you may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> I find it interesting. I just ask you to look at your neighbor and say welcome and give them a fist bump. I didn't imply a five-minute conversation. <clears throat> didn't mean to imply that. So, uh, y'all happy to be here today? I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord. Praise God. Former President Bill Clinton said, If you live long enough, you'll make mistakes. But if you learn from them, you'll be a better person. It's how you handle adversity, not how it affects you. The main thing is never quit. Never quit. Never quit, he said. John Maxwell said a man must be big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. Johnny Cash said you build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. Close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, he said, but you don't dwell on it. 
You don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, was marked by separation. It was a separation that went beyond the ordinary. You'll consider what he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, he said, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace. Perhaps when the common man saw Paul dressed almost shabbily, living his life among the poor, they might have taken him for what he appeared to be. But when they came to know him, they found an unequaled intensity about his mission. But it was not always so So with the Apostle Paul. He was the terrible Saul of Tarsus before he became the Apostle Paul. The tremendous capabilities of his mind stretch into an understanding that was not rivaled by his peers. They sat in utter amazement as Saul of Tarsus would quote the whole portions of Job and Isaiah and Ezekiel and then enlighten their own minds as to the content. Saul of Tarsus was a student who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the greatest teacher of the law of Moses in that era, found himself challenged by the remarkable young student, this Saul of Tarsus. But there was something so significant about this Saul of Tarsus in that he lived in ignorance and unbelief. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before, he said about himself, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it, ignorantly in unbelief. The finest of the minds, the best of educators, the finest of books, and yet still this man lived in spiritual darkness. It brings a chill to the soul to realize that here in this room right now are those who week in and week out have attended places of worship They are seemingly involved in worship and all the trappings of church and never have really understood the importance of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and of being faithful to the house of God. For it was the law of God that Paul reasoned out so well. It was the law of God that he could debate with such mastery. It was the law of God that he taught with such skill and preached with such intensity and feeling. But all of it to Paul, bottom line, became a full life on one hand, but yet so empty on the other. So full of passion, but so empty of emotion. So full of conviction, 
But there was never a true conversion so full of concepts but void of the real love of God, so full of hope and yet so troubled. But out of all, but all of that about Paul was about to change. It changed on the day that this murderer, this prosecutor of the church, this persecutor of the church came to Christ. I want to ask you again the question, which is the title of my message today. Can anybody come to Christ? The answer is a resounding yes. Anybody, everybody say anybody. Anybody can come to Christ. For you see, the great Saul of Tarsus hated this young church born in Acts chapter 2. As of yet, this young apostolic church is only two or three years old and growing very quietly in the city of Jerusalem. And at first, the authorities had been inclined to persecute this young, infantile church in order to stop it. But having checked with the teachers of the day, decided to let it live and hoped that it would die out as quickly as it had been born. It was sort of a truce that developed between the church and the teachers. Under the advice of Gamaliel, the leaders quietly observed and the Christians made as little offense as possible. But listen to pastor this morning. The church never has been and never will be able to keep a truce with those who are determined to keep it from growing and thriving and moving forward. I made a commitment to God a long time ago. As long as I'm the pastor and God has put me in that place, our church is going to move forward. It's going to move forward at a pace that God has set for it. It's going to move in the direction that God wants it to go. This is a God-run church, a God-directed church, and we will not make a truce with anybody to slow down its progress and its progression in the kingdom of God. For locked up inside of the apostolic church is a world-conquering drive that forces it to touch everything it comes in contact with. Let me say quickly in passing, uh, I remember being at camp meeting a couple of years ago. And the preacher preached that night and gave startling statistics about the advancement of the apostolic movement worldwide. Sometimes we get tunnel vision and say if it's not happening here, it's not happening everywhere. But I'm here to tell you today, we may not be seeing everything we want to see here at Grace, but God has a church going on in this world right now that's literally taking over countries. They're moving from city to city, from house to house, from town to town. And they're spreading the gospel. There's just something inherent in the old apostolic message that makes you want to say, i got to tell somebody what God has done for me. I've got to share the miracle. I've got to share the testimony. I've got to share the greatness. I've got to share the empowerment. I've got to share the sufficiency of God and Him working in my life. Clap your hands to the Lord. And somebody shout, yes! Praise God. I'm still pumped about what's going on in Cuba. 
they closed the doors to any religious organization in the late 1950s. But as all of you, most of you heard, Brother and Sister Scott Gwynn, missionaries to Mexico, met a man that went to Cuba, and uh, an apostolic man found about 16 Catholic priests who were searching the Word of God for more truth and more fullness, preached to them Jesus, baptized them in Jesus' name. And in a few short years, there's close to 3,000 converted apostolics on that little island of Cuba where the government said, God can't come in. God said, I'll find a way in. And it's indicative of the apostolic movement. You're not going to slow God down, and neither are you going to keep Him quiet. Well, after a short while, after the church was born in Acts chapter 2, there rose a man in the apostolic church who was as aggressive as could be. And all the Bible could really say about him is that he was full of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) He was full of it. Love that terminology as it applies to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I think we have some people here this morning, your fuel light's been on for a while. It's time to stop and get filled up again. But this man was full of the Holy Ghost. And on that fateful day, he stood up to preach. And Brother Billy, he preached with force. He preached with anointing. And this man preached with power. As a matter of fact, his message he preached that day led him to his own execution. The offenders of the church forced him to the outskirts of town and hurled stones on him until he died. And standing on the edge of that wild scene was Saul of Tarsus, involved with a mass of persecutors and killers holding the coats of the stone throwers, unknown as of yet to his full life's purpose. And with a pile of robes and coats at his feet, with his eyes riveted on the bloody body, he looked into the serene face of a kneeling Stephen and heard him him utter words that pierced the heart of Saul that day when Stephen prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When you think of them, he was saying, think of them redemptively. Think of them to save them. Think of them to show them grace. Think of them to show them mercy. Don't think judgment. Don't think ending their life. Don't hate them. But God loved them, and it got a hold of Saul. Can anybody come to Christ? There are hurting people here today. If you could just pray that prayer about the people that have hurt you. It would take you into the presence of God like you could never imagine. As a minister friend told me, couple of weeks ago in reference to their child who is an adult, an adult child said my child will never go to church again because of the way men have hurt them stoned Mr. Murphy and I had a very unique opportunity to talk to a person that was a pastor's wife and in reference to her husband who was in some kind of a therapeutic treatment 
locked up in a hospital. A severe alcoholic. One time stood behind a desk like this and preached the gospel. Said he could never get past the hurt that men put on him. I want to say to you today, if you could pray Stephen's prayer in reference to those people that have hurt you so bad, it would take you into the presence of God like you've never been before. God, they are hurting me bad, but lay not their sin to their charge. You take it away. And when you think of them, don't think of them in light of what they did to me. Think of them in light of saving them. It was Saul's zeal, and I didn't come to preach that particular thing today, but I do want to, I could stop here for a while. It was Saul's zeal on this occasion, standing there as a human coat rack, as Stephen was being stoned, that probably secured him a seat among the Sanhedrin court, who ultimately crucified Jesus. you wanted to be a part of the in crowd back in those days, it would behoove you to fight against that little infantile church that was born in Acts chapter 2. Terrible were the scenes that followed. This Saul of Tarsus went from synagogue to synagogue, from house to house, dragging men and women out and throwing them into prison and to their punishment. And the church of Jerusalem was broken into pieces and those remaining were scattered throughout the country and Saul threw himself into the persecution of the church with unmatched intensity, convinced, convinced that he was doing God's work. And having heard that Damascus had become a safe haven for the church, he pursued northward with letters permitting persecution in his hands. And with murder in his heart, he walked on to the road that would forever mark him. He had nearly completed his journey. It was about high noon when all is quiet. The event that changes his entire life comes about. A blinding light from heaven slammed him to the ground. The stupefied friends of the Pharisee heard a roaring, but they couldn't understand. Saul heard what they did not hear. Saul heard what they did not see. The burning light of the vision blinded him, and he entered Damascus, not at the head of the group, no longer bent on schemes of violence and destruction, but led by the hand as if he were a prisoner. And there in Damascus, for three days, he fasted, prayed, and and passed some 70 hours in darkness and silence alone and alone with God. God changed Saul of Tarsus that day into the Apostle Paul. I have to stop here for a minute and probably be a little more personal with some of you than maybe I should be. But there's people here today that are marked. And we've always understood, misunderstood, that marking and why. We've all had our moments in life where we pray, God, why me? If I asked for a show of hands, virtually every hand in the room would go up if you've ever prayed that prayer. 
It occurred to me in this past week, studying and preparing for today. Everybody, most commentators that I've read after, when Paul said that God had given him a thorn in the flesh and asked God to remove it, that God responded to him and said, My grace is sufficient unto thee. Most commentaries I've read after in history and tradition says that Paul couldn't see that good. And he wrote oh, well over half of the New Testament. And most of that writing was done in a dark prison cell. But he couldn't see good. God separated him apart, he said, from his mother's womb. But for God to really get him to his destiny and to that place where God was calling him, God had to mark him with something. I don't want to go in too deep right now, even though I want to. But Paul said, I press towards the mark. There's something that pulls me to a mark. It's interesting to me that if, in fact, Paul couldn't see good, keep in mind that it was God, Patrick, that blinded him. God did that. Paul couldn't blame his mama. He couldn't go on Oprah and start blaming everybody and their brother for his condition. God did that. Everybody say, God did that. God put a mark, and he said, I press towards the mark, which was the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But he understood that the conduit to the fulfillment of God's purpose in his life came through his pursuit of that mark. And there's people here today, you have a mark, but you don't like it. You have a thorn in the flesh and you don't like it. And you want God to remove it and you can't reconcile yourself with it. And I'm feeling a huge surge of the Holy Ghost right now as I speak. There's things that people here today have been through. Mr. April, raise your hand if you would. She was married, beautiful family, beautiful beautiful kids. By the way, when Sister April started attending here, she brought to her, to Grace Church, its fourth set of twins. There's more people in our church that look alike than they don't look alike. And actually, we've grown to what I say is five and a half sets of twins in this church. We have a half a twin back there. The other half is in... Melville somewhere. Five sets of twins. But God put a mark on Sister April. Her husband, who was a man of God, loved God, loved the house of God, loved the pastor, was the pastor's right-hand man. God chose to take him out of here in his 40s, if I remember correctly. She was, of course, devastated, but God has given her peace. 
But now when she walks around with her friends and family, she can't hide that mark. I've heard people say in their older years as an adult when they've lost their spouse, doesn't matter where they go and who they're with, they feel like a fifth wheel. You don't really feel like you fit in anywhere because your spouse isn't there with you anymore. It's a mark. There's people here today that your gray hair represents a mark. You've been through something that has cost you dearly. You've experienced something and, and nobody here today, and I'm going to be very real and I want to be very relevant. Nobody here today wants to say that God does things to you. That God brings things to your life that are unpleasant. But I'm having a hard time getting around the fact that when Paul was on that road to Damascus that day, that God blinded him. God was the one that did that. And it's interesting to me that God used such a process to get Paul to make that approach to him. My question today is, can anyone come to Christ? There was not a more evil man on this planet than Saul of Tarsus. Do you hear me? We've talked about people like Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin and, and all these evil men that killed people. Saul of Tarsus did his share of that. And God caused a blindness. Well versed in the law of Moses. Could quote portions of the Old Testament. Huge portions, books of the Old Testament. But he said, he was ignorant and was an unbeliever. He committed this to memory and he lived a life, but it never converted him. So God ran him through a process. It left a mark on him. Let me say it again. God did it. God did it. He brought him through a process. So when Paul fell down that day on the road to Damascus, he fell down a sinner. But he rose up a saint. He fell down as an unbeliever. But he rose up as a champion. He fell down as a hater of the gospel. But he rises as an apostle. He falls down as a blasphemer. But rises as a martyr. He falls as a hater of Jesus. But rises so that for him, Paul, to live is Christ. Blindness caused by God left a mark on him. Some call it a thorn in the flesh. It was also caused a radical transformation in him. What causes these marks that are put on us by God? If these marks in reference to Paul were disappointments, then these Marks would be, would just be a failure. If these marks were of punishment, then these marks would just be of sin. If they were 
of the culture, then the marks would be of education. If, if they were caused by suffering, then they would, be, they would not be authentic. For some men suffer, and their suffering separate them from God. What was it that caused these marks? Paul affirms that his marks were caused by the Lord Jesus. He gained them by surrendering to the will of God and he gained them in the path of obedience. Everybody look at the screen and notice that only God can heal the wounds that he made. I'm preaching to a lot of people here today, and in one sense and another sense, I'm preaching only to a handful. But there's somebody in this room right now, it is imperative that you understand that there are things that God will make happen in our lives. There's things that God will bring to the table. There's things that God will call us to do, and there's positions that He puts us in. And all of us are resistant to it, and we say, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to become that. I don't want to live that. I don't want to obey that. But, but somehow or another, we're resistant to God striking us down. Brother Phil, you've been all over this message in preparation this week. I could not get you out of my mind. You have lots of marks, man. You lost a grandson struck by lightning several years ago. One of the most devastating things, he had a tumor in him that a number of years ago that was bigger than a head of lettuce. And he was backslidden at the time. He's given me permission to do this. Not serving God. But God kept striking him down with the light. The light just kept pounding. Boom. And we're like, God, why do you do this? God, why do you do this? God, why do you do this? Folks, you've got to hear me today. Brandy, it's been hard, man. Just had a great conversation right out there in the hall. I don't know that everything that happens to us is from God. Paul's was. It was from God. God did that. And I don't know that everything that happens to us is from God, but God sure does allow it. And everybody questions. This has been an amazing revelation to, to me. As, as much as I've studied the books and preached for 30 years, and Brother Ben, it just revolutionized my thinking, man. That God, and this is so simple, but he will never put you through something. He will never cause anything to come to your life that he can't control and you're coming out of it. And that's where people get in an impasse and they get bitter against God. It's real easy. How old was Evan? How old was Evan when he got struck by eight years old? At his house, right outside his back porch, man. It's hard to get your head around that. Why did God, literally, a bolt of lightning. Some commentary said that's what happened to Paul. He got struck by lightning, and the brightness of it blinded him. In Evan's case, it took his life. Why 
does God do that? I don't have the answer to the why, but I do have this answer. If God allows something to come into your life that causes such a brokenness and such confusion and such despair... We have to continue with God and understand that whatever God brings to us, He can heal us of it. Sister Murphy and I drove to Memphis, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. Her niece lives there, and uh, she just miscarried. She was devastated. Other things going on, so we drove up there to visit with him, tried to encourage him, prayed with him. Drove six hours to be with him. And in the preparation for this message today, it occurred to me, and I want to call them at some point this coming week and tell her that God will never strike you with anything that He's not able to heal. But listen to Pastor, and you can't forget this point. No matter what happens in your life, And I hope to God that I can remember it. But if God allows something to happen in your life that's devastating, that brings despair and confusion and disorientation, then only God is the one that can heal it. And we all know here this morning that scattered all over this area, I call it the tri-parish area, East Baton Rouge Parish, Ascension Parish, and Livingston Parish. There are bitter Pentecostals all over this place because God suffered or allowed something to come into their life and it devastated them. It caused them to lose their way and they can't understand it and they can't figure it out. And they've gone to psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, a life coach, and everything else you can imagine. They're on drugs, they're on medication, and I'm not against all of that totally. But I I'm here to preach to somebody today that if God has allowed something to come into your life, then He is the only one that can take care of it. He's the only one that can. When these wounds begin to mark our lives, Brother Phil, we cannot afford to allow them to come, become infected with bitterness and torn by jealousy, to be crippled by malice and wrath, to be destroyed by resentment, to be hobbled by anger, nor to, become, to begin to harbor the works of darkness and the deep recesses of our soul. Look at the screen, if you will. Never, never, never for a moment think that your darkest trial, your most difficult task, the most hurtful situation in your life is without purpose. There is indeed purpose in the pain that God allows men to walk through. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. I wish the same kind of burden would lift off of you that lifted off of me. I'm tempted to say that maybe this is for me, but I know better than that. I could go down this side of the building and up this one and that one and that one and point to people and say, God put you through an inexplainable, unmerciful, pointless trial 
There's no reason. Vic Duran, I can't explain why you were in a tragic accident a number of years ago. I can't explain that. Ethel, I can't explain why things have come to your life. I don't have the why answer. We've got to be real careful here. I don't want to go too far, but there's people here today that are suffering and that have suffered. Sister Dane just found out Wednesday night her brother has mesothelioma. Doctors don't give a good prognosis for that. Why? Let me bear my soul this morning. This is what we don't get. I'm pointing to the three theologians up here. This is what we don't get. When Paul was struck down, Brother Steve, and I'm calling names on purpose. I want to arrest your attention here today, so pay attention. You don't know if I'm going to call yours or not. When God struck him down, he said, you go on. He, he spoke to Paul and said, you go on to Damascus and you think about it. And left him, Tommy, left him in three days of stark, sheer blindness. Think about that. Blind. So in Paul's mind, this Jesus whom I'm persecuting, it's what Jesus said, you're persecuting me, not just my people, but me. This Jesus I'm persecuting apparently hates my guts. He don't want anything to do with me. He's real upset with me. He don't want me around him anymore. It's because he's blinded me, and I've been sitting here now, let's say two days, and God has done nothing. Anybody been there? I mean, I don't know a very few... Very many people, when these kind of tragic things hit you upside the head real hard and it leaves you flat on your back on the floor and you're wondering, my God, what in the world just happened? And you're like, God, where are you and why did you do this? So Paul, knowing God did this. Are you all hearing me? I'm going to repeat this until I'm sure you got it. God did this. God did it. And he's been sitting there now. He spent one whole day in darkness. And, and, and people are terrified of him. He, he'll kill you, man. He'll throw you like bait to a lion. He'll nail you to a cross and catch you on fire. He ain't scared. This is an evil man. And he's as blind as a bat in a snowstorm wearing sunglasses. And nobody wants to get around him. From all appearances, Ethel, God hates me. Look what I've done to God. Look what I've done against God. Look how I fail. Look how I sin. All those people I killed. All those people I hurt. All those families I destroyed. But what Saul didn't know, Brother Billy, was while he was sitting in silence, God was working on somebody else. Now here's the amazing thing. Paul was of both Roman and Jewish citizenship. And he knew all the high up people. 
the Bible's very clear. This man had a lot of stroke. This guy has a reputation that follows him everywhere he goes in all directions. And he knows everybody. He's connected with everybody. But who does God send? You know, it kind of reminds me when God wanted to start breaking through the law and sent John the Baptist. The Bible said, I believe it's in Luke, that in the year that King Herod was this and the high priest was that and all these names, all these people, here comes John the Baptist out of the wilderness. God just skipped over all them people. But after three days, sitting in this darkness, this little man with a shaking voice and trembling on the outside, and he questioned God. God spoke to Ananias, a nobody. The Bible just simply refers to him as a disciple. The district superintendent didn't call. The general superintendent didn't call. The president didn't call. The king didn't call. Here comes just Joe Blow out of the little beat-up church in Damascus. Y'all sit there and look at me funny like you want. I'm preaching the book right now. He was unknown. They know he was. He walked in scared to death, Brother Ben, and walked up to Paul and said, Brother Paul, Brother Saul, excuse me, called him brother. Let's soothe this thing over. I'm terrified of you, man. So let me do the brother thing on you. Maybe it'll kind of help tone down the atmosphere here. There's a lot of other names he could have called him that would have been applicable, but he chose Brother Saul. God sent me to you and told me that you're chosen and he wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost and he'll restore your sight and he'll do all these wonderful things because he has a ministry for you. Now here's where we get in an impasse. We're all good when Brother Bustard comes and Brother Holland comes. I shouldn't put this being recorded. They'll get over it. But here comes the Canadian Brother Bustard and his funny accent. And God showed me that you have a third vertebrae in your lower neck and and God wants to heal you in Jesus' name. And everybody... We do that because he has a reputation that precedes him. And here comes the charismatic and personality Jerry Holland. And he's preaching faith, faith, faith. And then he just stops all of a sudden and gets in your ear and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, wow, wow, wow. And every once in a while, on a few occasions, the pastor can wow somebody once in a while. The Lord spoke to me and said da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, hmm? He spoke to you and said, what? Really? I didn't know you could hear from God. <laughs> what makes it really amazing is when a couple drives, where were they from? Sulphur. When Brother Jerry Holland was here a couple of weeks ago, sat right over there, family, never been here before. Never been here before. I didn't even know their name. Brandy comes to church that night for the first time in a long, long time. And this lady walks over and reads her mail. I'm not going to tell you all the things she said. It's between her and God. But she's like, here I've been in this state of mind, all this stuff going on in my life, and God don't send Brother Bustard. He don't send Jerry Holland. 
And he don't even send the pastor. He sends a lady that I've never seen. Just a disciple. We don't get that. Because we're resistant to what the people say. It's been said in this church, and I applaud Brother Jason Cooper. God uses him mightily along this line. But he'll walk up to people and walk, 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 and you hear. And I've had people come to me after church and said, who was that? They didn't recognize his voice. That was in the early days when they came here. They do now. But who was that man that spoke into my ear? And he told me things I've not even told my spouse. You listen to me. Everybody in this building, listen to me. God is the greatest follow-up person you will ever meet in your life. If He brings something into your life, you can be rest assured that He's going to bring something else behind it that can fix it. <clears throat> this disciple... Ananias laid hands on Brother Saul. God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He was baptized in the name of Jesus. And God restored his sight, at least to the point that he could move into ministry and do what God had called him to do. Let me read it again. Never, never, never for a moment think that your darkest trial, your most difficult task, the most hurtful situation in your life is without purpose. There is indeed purpose in the pain that God allows men and women to walk through. Paul asked the appropriate question that day. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What would you have me to do? Everybody say me. The question was personal. Not what would you have my family do. Lord, what do you want the church to do? Lord, what do you want the person on the other side of the sanctuary to do? No, what do you want me to do? May I speak to you today freely. There's people that I've met throughout my ministry that has turned their back on a relationship with God because their spouse didn't want to do it. God don't call couples. He calls men and women. He calls men and women. He can call couples, but typically he calls men and women. And whatever it is that God is calling, whatever it is that he wants you to do. Here's something else that we need to understand, Brother Phil. Is when you've been through such perilous times and you say, well, God must have some great thing for me. When God does speak and a disciple speaks the word of God in your ear. Then we expect God to do something great and fantastic in our lives. I have been here a thousand times. Man, I'm just coming out of burnout. I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of that. God must have something great and fantastic coming down the pike. Watch this. Jacob. After meeting the Lord in a dream that night and wrestling with an angel, he built a memorial and went on his journey. That was it. Naaman went to the Jordan River and he dipped seven times, was cleansed, and the Bible said he went on his way. That was it. Some of the fishermen 
that Jesus asked to convert the world. When Jesus said, follow me, all they did was drop their nets and follow him, and that was it. The healed leper was told just simply to go home. The rich young ruler would just simply ask, go home and sell what you have and give it to the poor. That's it. Sometimes we're blinded by a light from heaven and God resurrects our life and puts us right back in the middle of the kingdom and then we expect millions of dollars to start coming into the mailbox and our home is going to get three times bigger and our car is going to get four times more expensive and our kids are going to be perfect and the marriage is going to be perfect. No, 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 no. You're in the kingdom, but you still have to live life. Paul said, Lord, what will you have me to do? If you'll stand with me this morning, I'm not finished, but I'm... Know the mind. The seat cannot endure what the mind cannot comprehend, however that goes. God didn't speak to Paul after that Damascus Road incident, but he sent somebody. And I believe what Paul did those three days was spend some time repenting over the hurt that he had brought to the lives of other people. Can anybody come to Christ? If Paul can, anybody can. David, the Old Testament, was an adulterer and a murderer. And God sent someone to him named Nathan. This was David's response in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speaks, when thou speak and be clear when thou judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken, the bones which thou hast broken, may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach grand transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. I want to make an appeal this morning. For people who have been hurt and people that have hurt. You've been hurt by people and you've hurt people. There's people here struggling today. I want to be saved so bad, and I want to go to heaven so bad. But I just, God, you know, I, I just, I'm embarrassed to even ask God today for anything because it's just, I haven't been just really on top of my game when it comes to my relationship with God. And 
There's folks here today who are stuck. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You think you've made a mistake or that God has allowed something to happen to you that you don't understand. I want you to know that you can bring all of that to Jesus today. Anybody can come to Christ. You may be sitting in darkness, confusion, misperception, misunderstanding. But God is sending someone to you to tell you what you must do. Listen to the voice that's speaking in your ear. I just want to make an appeal to everybody here today. We used to sing a song years ago that just says softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you, for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Oh, for the wonderful love he's promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. So come home. Come home, ye who are weary. Come home earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor. Can anybody come to Christ? He said they could. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labor. And they're heavy laden and I will give you rest. Somebody wrote a song and says, So you think you made the ultimate mistake. And the devil said there's no use to pray. Because you've gone beyond God's grace this time. Did you know that was the devil's most favorite line? But there's bigger sin than that beneath the blood. I'm here to preach to somebody. If Paul can come to Jesus, anybody. God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. God, God's reaching. He's reaching, man. He's reaching for somebody in this house, right? It's that child of God that you're confused and you don't understand. You sit in darkness and you really can't see much of a future in God. But you can come to Him with your burden. You can come to Him with your care. And He can usher you into His presence. will give your life meaning and purpose. God is speaking to somebody, I know it, in the Holy Ghost right now. God's speaking to somebody right now. As the presence of God walks the aisleways of this sanctuary, He walks in and out of the rows and He's touching hearts. There's people here today, your, your heart feels hot on the inside. There's chills running up and down your spine. I want you to know that's Jesus. And that's his way of whispering in your ear, Come unto me, all ye that labor, you're heavy laden.
Pastor, are you saying that I can come to Christ? Oh, yes, that's what I'm saying. Anybody could come with your burden and your heartbreaks and your frustration and your confusion. And you can bring it to the foot of the cross. I'm here to tell you today that the blood of Christ will restore your sight. And you'll see life and purpose and destiny in ways you've never seen it before. God didn't waste your time and He didn't overburden you when you went through that trial and that hardship. Just God bringing you to greater revelation and He sent somebody. He has sent a voice to you right now that's speaking in your ear. He wants to heal that blindness. He wants to take away that hurt. Yeah, He's directed your steps and He don't put more on you than you can bear. He still has you in the palm of His hand. You don't think He does, but He does. God, our God is speaking to somebody right now. Yea, I say unto thee, My spirit is beckoning unto you, unto every man and woman. It is not my will that any should perish. It is not my will that any should live in darkness. But my spirit is around you. My hand is reaching for your hand. My arms have been around your life. And I've been steering your footsteps. And I brought you to this place to reveal unto you your purpose and your destiny. I say unto you, come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. I will heal your hurting. I will take away your sorrow. I will give meaning to your life. Come unto me. I, the Lord, do love you. Come to me. And I will take your burden. going to ask everybody to, as our custom is, to just come stand around the front of the building. I'm going to ask you to let the Lord speak to your heart. We're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to put anybody on the spot. Everybody come and just stand for a few moments around the front of the building. Child of God, you may be that disciple that God is moving on right now to go whisper in somebody's ear let the Lord have his way let the Lord have his way but God wants you to come to him not to judge you and not to make you feel bad he wants to take your burden that you carry while they're playing and singing softly would everybody raise your hands heavenward raise your hands heavenward and let's call on Jesus Jesus